an elder, uh, he has a unique position, him along with Timothy, as we've looked at last uh, few weeks, uh, in that they were special messengers of Paul. Paul, being an apostle, had unique apostolic authority uh, that we really don't see today anymore. Uh, and so Timothy and Titus are messengers and, and carry the authority of Paul uh, with them. And so it's probably not true to say, well, he's just a pastor, uh, and that there was an authority that Titus and Timothy had that was unique to that day and time. But there's qualities about Titus that we gather from Paul's writing that Brother R.D., I think, should apply to you as well to anyone uh, who is to be a church leader, as Titus was a church leader. Uh, and so I want to uh, gather some passages from uh, Galatians as well as 2 Corinthians that reveals a little bit about who Timothy is uh, or who Titus uh, was so as to apply him to our own life. But before I do, I think it might be healthy for our church just to be aware of the accountability that the deacons have applied to themselves. This is an accountability form uh, that the deacons go through every month. And so when we talk about ordaining RD and someone being an active deacon, it, it is good for you to know what is the standard that they're applying to themselves. What is it they are asking each, themselves each month and sharing with one another uh, in various forms uh, the results of that. This is an accountability form, accountability form that flows out of uh, the expectation of church members that I've been teaching uh, anyone that goes through our new member class, uh, 101, uh, which, by the way, October 5th, we're going to do again, day of, uh, our day of growth. If you'd like to be a part of that, uh, if you can take that form uh, that uh, was in the bulletin and you can give it to me or you can contact the church office. We'll have child care and lunch provided, but we'll need to know in advance those who'd like to be a part of that. So... When we teach that, I teach that if you want to be a member of the church, you, you commit to do something. You're committing to protect the unity of the church. And that's done by acting in love toward other members, by refusing to gossip, and by following the leaders. And so, with that in mind, these questions come from that. The deacons ask themselves every month. This is something that R.D. would be asking himself every month. One, have I demonstrated unloving attitude or speech toward another member two did i allow a gossiping conversation to occur around me three have i been supportive of the god appointed leaders in green binds and these are directly tied uh, to four scripture passages or five scripture passages that support the expectations of church members the second expectation for church members is that you will commit to share the responsibility of the church Three ways to do that. By praying for its growth. By inviting the unchurched to attend. And by warmly welcoming those who visit. Again, all these tied to scripture. And so the questions that the deacons ask themselves based on that is one, this month, did I consistently pray for a church? Two, how many people did I invite this month to our church? Three, how many Sundays did I meet someone new at church? So for deacons, uh, you've got opportunity right here today where you can do that. And then the third expectation of a church member 
is that you will serve the ministry of the church. There's unique ways of doing that. One, knowing your gifts and talents, being equipped to serve by the pastor, being in a position where that could happen, and in developing a servant's heart. So the questions we ask from that is, what ministries did you serve this month as a deacon? What spontaneous needs of our church did you meet? And then third, have I been supportive of our church being a greenhouse for the Great Commission and our work with loving out loud in our community? Uh, Then the last expectation for church members is that if you commit to a church body, you're committing to support the testimony of this church. Three ways that happens. One, by attending faithfully, by living a godly life, and by giving on a regular basis. And so the questions that flow from that, was there a time this past month when you were convicted about not attending a church event? What would the church be like if every member copied your behavior this past month? Is there an area of your life that you need to seek greater accountability and repentance in? Did you tithe this month? If not, what steps do you have in place in order to be a leader in honoring the Lord with your substance and the first fruits of your increase? To the best of my knowledge, all the above information is true, and they sign it and date it. This is a, a form that the deacons have chosen themselves, um, that they wanted to hold themselves accountable to. I think it's healthy for you just to be aware of that, to know that, to say that if someone is going to be a deacon, they are a leader in the church. There are many things you can commit your ministry toward, but if you're a deacon, you're committing, committing your ministry as Green Pines being a high priority. Again, this is an extension of what we expect all our church members to be and to do. But to be a deacon, you're to be a leader in these expectations. And so you need to know what R.D. is being set aside for, what he himself is committing himself toward, what all our deacons who are active, what they're committing themselves toward. And so with that thought, we're going to ask ourselves, is this beyond Scripture? Are we stepping outside of what God has asked us to do? I think that when you examine this and read Scripture, these are not just unique to deacons. These are things that are asked of all believers in a church body. We just want to make sure that the deacons have an accountability of where that is happening. And so... As we hear that and read this, it's helpful to know this is true for me, too, if I'm a believer in Christ Jesus. And so let's look at Titus. Let's see the things that he did and endured. Titus 1.4 says, To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Not a lot of biographical data there given to us, other than there was a unique relationship between Paul and Titus, that evidently Paul was instrumental in the faith of Titus, counting him as a child, his own, bio, his own spiritual son uh, in the faith. And so he had a, a mentor relationship, and he had those that he was teaching himself. And I, I think that is appropriate for most any believer, that you have someone that's pouring their life into you, as well as you pouring your life into someone else. 
Uh, and so I'm going to just, if you will, bear with me as we're going to look at various passages in Scripture, just kind of give a biographical sketch uh, of who Titus was uh, and some characteristics that we can apply to us uh, in our own life today. Uh, as we read uh, in Galatians chapter 2, I'm going to ask that you turn to Galatians chapter 2. You're going to find a little bit more biographical information there uh, that's found. Uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3... Paul makes a, a simple statement. Titus was Greek. Now, in that day and time, that was pretty huge. And that the church was birthed out of Jews. And in their thinking, Jews, for a large time of history, thought they, they were unique in being God's people. But with the church age comes, with the Holy Spirit comes, God opens the doors for all people to come. Uh, Greeks, to be part of God's body, to be in fact God's temple, which was scandalous, literally scandalous to the Jew. Uh, it was a stumbling block for them, which is what the word scandalous means. Uh, and so uh, when Cornelius comes and is a Gentile and becomes a believer in his household, there becomes a real debate. And they, they kind of want to get rid of Peter, except for Peter attests to the fact how God worked in miraculous ways that so they could not deny that God was opening the doors to Greeks. And so Titus comes in. He's a Greek. And that can be a problem in places like Jerusalem. It'll be interesting as we read in Galatians chapter 2 how uh, God uh, worked through this man named Titus. We know that Titus served in ministry with Paul. We're going to see various passages where that speaks, uh, where it becomes evident. Another powerful passage that speaks to Titus, if you just keep your a marker in the Galatians 2 passage, but then also go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to learn a little bit more biographical information about uh, Titus. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and in chapter 8, uh, we find that uh, Titus was used uh, by the Lord in ministering and, and helping the Corinth church, was, which was a very problematic church. Uh, a lot of sin that was going on, church discipline issues that had to take place. And so uh, he, was, uh, he was dealing with heart issues. Uh, so no wonder we find him later on in Crete, which also is a, a place known for sin uh, in that area. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, Paul says, Thanks be to God, who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. Now, if you'll go just one chapter previous, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5 to 9, we're going to find a little bit more about Titus. One, we know that Titus was earnest, for this church. Verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia. Our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn. Fighting without and fear within. But God who comforts the downcast. Comfort us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming. But also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. And he told us of our longing. Your mourning. Your zeal for me. So that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that your letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. 
We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 as well as chapter 8 that Paul had, or that Titus had a, a desire for ministry. He had an earnest for ministry, not only for the church body, but for people individually, in, in the case of Paul. And so, R.D., let me just share, share with you, a church leader must be earnest to minister. It is a desire on your part, not just for the church entirely, but for people individually. There is a desire in your heart to want to minister to them, as we see here, and as Paul was a beneficiary of, of, of Titus longing to minister uh, in the area of, of Corinth in that church, but then coming to himself and saying, Paul, let me just give you comfort. Individually and whole. He didn't go to Corinth begrudgingly. R.D., do not be a deacon begrudgingly. All right? There is not much benefit that churches receive from deacons who are begrudging in their service. This is a way to worship the Lord. And so there will be sacrifices, there will be pain, there will be conversations, there will be difficulties, but it is part of worship of the Lord. And therefore, let it be something you have earnest desire to do as we see here in Timothy. There's something else we learn about Timothy or about Titus. We're going to learn about how Titus was flexible. If you just look at the information that Paul gives about Titus. One, we already know that Titus was left in Crete in Titus 1:5. His goal was to set the church in order. He traveled in Galatians chapter 2 verse 1 through 3. He he traveled to Israel for the council that would be at Jerusalem. In 2 Corinthians 12:18, he was urged to go in Corinth. In 2 Timothy 4:10, we learn uh, that he traveled to uh, Dalmatia. He went there. He made every effort to get to Paul at Nicopolis. Nicopolis in Titus 3, verse 12. So whatever the job entailed, whatever it took, he was available. He was flexible. He was mobile. That was the unique role that Titus had. And to be a church leader... Is still desires flexibility. That's one of the things Roland always tells folks. I'm sure any any team that goes there uh, to do a, to do a work in in Haiti, he he always tells them be flexible. Is that right? I didn't tell him. I didn't ask in advance if that was true. I just know that's the case because anywhere you go when you do mission work, the the word is always be flexible. Now I don't know why it is that we say it's okay to be flexible if we go somewhere else. You know what I'm about to say? And we don't tell ourselves that it's true here. If it's true in Haiti, if it's true in Belarus, if it's true in East Asia, if it's true in the Middle East, if it's true anywhere else in the world, it's true here too. We have to have a flexibility because we are following the orders of the Holy Spirit of God. And God does not always consult us before He tells us what we're to do. He doesn't have to. We are his sheep. And as a leader in the church, it is all the more so there must be a flexibility that's required to say, what is the need? What is God doing? Okay, I'm going to have to change my life. Yes, 
And our lives need to be changed. To hold on to God and not hold on to routines. We don't make routines our idol. So whatever the job entailed, whatever it took, he was available. There's some who say, well, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be a missionary. I'm called to be an evangelist. I'm called to be a deacon. Yet they remain inflexible and thus unable to follow God's direction. Let me share with you uh, another trait about Titus that we find. As a church leader, Titus, not only was earnest to me to minister, to, to desire to minister, there was emotion. There was emotion t- tied to the church. So not only was there uh, the, the earnestness, there was affection. As a church leader, you must be emotionally tied to the church. You must have affection. For the church. We see this in in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 8 to 29. He says. Paul is saying there is the daily pressure on me. Of concern for all the churches. Who's weak without my being weak? Who's led into sin with my intense. Without my intense concern. R.D. you know already. The burden of family to have your heart poured out for your family which means that it's available to be broken and now as a deacon one of the qualifications we see in deacons is that there there must be an ability to to work with your family because some of those same skills are transferred over into the church which also means you open up your heart even more for the church there is affection that goes out. Paul makes testimony about Titus in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 13 through 16. He says, Beside our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus. Your joy is contagious. Paul was ministered to by the joy of Titus. The joy of a deacon can do much in regards to the joy of a church. Besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus. Because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. And whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all. How, I love how it says you all, don't you? <laughs> Uh, the obedience of y'all and how you have received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. But did you get this? His affection for you is even greater. He's referring to Titus. Already, I have found that one of the greatest ways to build affection for the church is to pray for the church. As you pray for green pines, as you pray for specific ministers and uh, workers in our church, your heart goes. Jesus said it this way, invest your treasure in heaven for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so as you invest in prayer and in ministry to have uh, God's working among us, it is inevitable that your heart will follow. For Titus, as a church leader, he had affection for his church. R.D., as a deacon, as a church leader, we're to do the same.
And then we find something interesting about Titus. Going back to Galatians 2, verse 1 to 3. Let's look at this a little bit more detail. Paul is being very autographical and tracing God's work in his life uh, and how he has this gospel. He says then after 14 years, he's making the case how how he has been more influenced by God and the Holy Spirit than, than he was specific people in Jerusalem. He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. This is for the Jerusalem council. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, remember Titus was a Greek, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So the context here was that, according to Old Testament law, if you were to be a Jew, you wanted to demonstrate that you were uh, in a part of the Old Covenant, then the, the, the sons, the men, were to be circumcised to give uh, uh, that sign that they were under the Old Covenant law. And so it became a debate. Um, all of a sudden you have Greeks who are believers in Christ, and they have the Spirit of God working in them. And here you, you know, may have been circumcised, and you're thinking, well, wait a second, we've always operated this way. Dietary laws, the Sabbath, circumcision, these have always been signs that we've been separate from this world. So if you're claiming to be no longer a part of this world but of God, then it seems to reason that you ought to be going through the same signs, outward signs. This was a major debate going on. Paul's argument was no we're not saved by works we're saved by the gospel of jesus christ the grace of god we no longer need these outward signs to make evident that we're under god we have a new covenant now you can you see the debate of that but i'm going to tell you it has a lot of practical implications for titus Here Titus is. He knows good and well what he's about to go into. He's about to go into the hotbed of controversy in Jerusalem. And Titus goes, knowing he's a believer in Jesus Christ, knowing the Spirit of God is at work in him, being convinced, thoroughly convinced of the gospel that we are not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of God and the Spirit of God working in our life. But yet... You've got folks who used to be priests, knowledgeable in the Old Testament, saying, no, that's not right. That's not right. Let me just share with you that as a church leader, Titus did not bow to pressure. R.D., if you're going to be a church leader, you cannot bow to the pressure. You have to know what the Word of God says. You have to know what the Gospel says. And you have to hold on to the Gospel. There has to be somewhat of a spiritual fortitude. It may be called stubbornness. It may be called different things. And you always have to be submissive to God so that you are not being a sinner in this. But what you know is to be is right in the Word of God you have to hold on to, even if there's the face of good people, church-going people who say differently. 
That's exactly the situation that Titus found himself in, what Paul found himself in. And Titus says, you're not going to force me to do this. It's not an issue of being stubborn for stubborn's sake. It was an issue of the gospel. Am I saved by grace alone? There are still elements in the church today that want to add on the old covenant and say, okay, if you really want to be godly, then you're going to have to do these other things. Let me just share with you as we keep on going. As a church leader, you have to be faithful. Titus was faithful. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Paul says, so we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. You're starting, Titus, but the question is, will you finish? Will you finish? A lot of people can start well. It doesn't take too much to start well, but the question always comes is, how do you finish? Be faithful. And that was the question for Titus. The scripture doesn't record all that much as to how he finished. We know from what tradition tells us that Titus continued on as an overseer over Crete. Tradition speaks well, but that is what's required for church leaders. is not only how they start, but how they continue, how they finish. I would just implore you, you're starting here. We're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to set you aside in prayer. But the question is, is how will you finish? And let me just share one more characteristic of, of Titus. As church leaders, we're, we're to be found faithful. As church leaders, we don't bow to the pressure. As church leaders, we're to be, uh, have an affection, affection for the church. As church leaders, we're to be flexible. As church leaders, we're to be earnest to minister, desiring to minister, whether individually or to uh, uh, large groups. But let me just share one last thing. As a church leader, you're to live out of the power of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 is instruction from Paul to Titus. Just reminding you one more time. He says, you know, Titus, it's not because of works of righteousness that you've done, that you're saved. We're not saved because of acts of righteousness. That's so important, church. <laughs> every, every religion is saying it's acts of righteousness that you've, you do, you've done. Whether it's acts of righteousness of, of meditation, in Buddhism, or various other forms. It's not by acts of righteousness which you've done. That's not why you're saved. It's because of God's mercy. God's mercy and the washing of regeneration and the birth, the, the rebirth of the Holy Spirit in us. Titus 3, 5. The renewal of the Holy Spirit. So as a church leader, keep on letting the Holy Spirit work in your life. And all these characteristics of, of being earnest and staying strong and I'm being faithful. Understand, though, that is the result of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Hold on to that. And that we're going to have a time where we're going to set them aside in prayer. 
We're going to be worshiping as a church as we do that. Let us pray for God's blessings, his anointing, his filling, and Brother R.D.'s life, as well as his wife, Brenda. They are called together in this. That's why in 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications apply to the women as well, because the work they do is integral together. At this time, I'm going to ask if, if R.D., if he'll come and his, if he'll share his testimony with us. And then as that happens, we'll, we'll be prepared to, uh, to set him aside in prayer. Well, I got this. I, I got two years to hang out with mom and dad all day without my two older brothers. Uh, my dad was disabled due to an accident they had when he was in the Air Force. Um, he lost his, his leg just above the knee. The VA got him an artificial leg, but he couldn't use it. He had psoriasis. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but he had big pink patches of skin, and the skin flaked off, and it itched, and he scratched, and it, it wasn't pretty. He could have worked if somebody would have hired him, but nobody would hire him. So, you know, mom and dad were both home. Dad was an unbeliever, but there were three men who kind of tag-teamed, and one of them was at our house at least once a week sharing the gospel, telling dad about Jesus, about the word. And, of course, I'm, I'm hanging with dad, and I'm listening to all this when I'm four years old. We went to a, because of one of these men, we went to a revival when I was five. And I'm convinced God saved me then, that night. I heard the gospel from the pulpit, clear, concise. God saved me that night. I also knew that dad, dad was dad, and dad didn't believe, and I knew that I couldn't convince him that I had been saved. So I just sat in my pew. Actually, we were standing up. We were singing just as I am. Um, that's when I got saved, but I didn't make it public. When I was 13, I was in a, uh, I was in the Boy Scouts. I went to church regularly at the church that sponsored my scout troop. And when I was 13, uh, I made a public profession. I walked down the aisle. I got baptized. I had the, I had the, Jesus is my Savior down. I knew all that. Yeah, you know, I was good with that. The, the part about Jesus is my Lord, not so much. But I was, I was still faithful. I, I swapped churches in high school because a lot of my friends went to another church, which was actually better because I could walk to it. Um, 
and the pastor of that church happened to be one of these three guys that's been ministering to dad every week. I moved away from home. I went to work in the oil rigs offshore. I, I fell into that lifestyle where God wasn't so important. Church wasn't so important. I got married about the time, just not long before Renee was born, we moved back to the town where I grew up. And we, we started then going to the church where I had gone to church in high school. And Brenda got saved. She had been raised a Catholic. Um, but God saved her. I started getting more involved in the church, singing in the choir, was doing stuff around the church. Eight or seven or eight years later, my, I got hurt at work. We moved to uh, North Louisiana because I was gonna go back to school but because of my injuries, I couldn't go to school. I couldn't work. Um, I went to the first doctor I went to said you need surgery to fix this. Of course, the company I was working for didn't want to pay for surgery, so they sent me to a doctor who examined me for about ten minutes and said, "Why are you in my office?" Uh, I'm going to caution you: be careful what you pray for, because. I asked God, please teach me patience. <laughs> well, <laughs> three years later, I had the surgery that I needed. So, I mean, he, he took his time, but he taught me patience. Uh, and that's, that patience that he taught me is what got me through four years of not working just recently. Um, but since just before Renee was born up till now I've, I've tried to be more and more involved with the church I've got the I've got the Jesus is my savior part down I'm still learning the Jesus is my Lord part but I know he is and I'm, I'm still learning how to trust him to be my Lord in everything. I'm humbled and I'm honored that you folks asked me to be a deacon. I don't know how to do it. Um, I'm, I'm trusting the pastor and the other deacons to teach me how to do it, but I just, I thank you for thinking of me and thinking that maybe I can do this job. So, I'm still learning. Thanks.